Hello everybody, this is Mike Ghetto along with Steve Carpenter from Yakima Chief Hop Union. This is episode four of our podcast, Beer, Baseball, and Binds. Today we will be joined by Matt Young, Director of Brewing Operations at Half Acre Brewery in Chicago. Before we get there though, Steve, uh, what's going on with the hops? I know you're talking to some of our growers in Oregon. What's, what's going on down there? I did, Mike, uh, touch base with one of our key growers down in Oregon. Uh, it's a little wet down there right now, so they're having a little bit of a uh, challenge getting into the fields, but uh, training uh, will start probably in two weeks. Uh, they've got about two-thirds of the uh, twining done, and uh, other than the challenges of working between the uh, rainstorms, uh, everything looks normal down there. I know sometimes uh, when we have an open-ended winter, there's concerns about uh, the sleeper hills, especially down in Oregon, and uh, Doug Weathers has been out checking out the uh, fields, and everything seems to be in, in good order so far. So we're off to a good start. I'll be down in Idaho uh, tomorrow. Check out our friends down there, and I know you. I'm and going to Oregon on Thursday, Friday, yeah. so we'll get a chance to get out of uh, the Yakima Valley and, and see what our growers are doing in our neighboring states. What have you heard in Idaho? Anything so far? We'll, we'll have more feedback next week, of course. Yeah, I'll, I'll be able on the next podcast to give an update down there, but I think things are off to a good start down there. The water situation is good, and uh, I anticipate seeing uh, lots of hops coming out of the ground. Driving around the Yakima Valley, it looks like we're probably more than two-thirds twined here. Does that sound about right to you? Sounds about right. Uh, we've had some cool weather here and some rain over the weekend, which is a little bit strange for this time of the year here in the valley, but uh, talked to a grower uh, uh, late morning today uh, here in the area, and things seem to be off to a good start there as well. Well, we've had a, a cold, wet spring, it seems, everywhere across the United States. The My favorite team, the Twins, had their entire three-game weekend uh, uh, snowed out in Minnesota. It's crazy, and I know it's been uh, extremely rainy as well in Chicago, where uh, where Matt is. And uh, so we'd like to now introduce uh, Matt Young, uh, director of brewing operations at Half Acre Brewery. Uh, good afternoon, Matt. How are you doing? Hey guys, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you going to be able to get that game in tonight at Wrigley Field? I know it was uh, it was rained out last night against the Cards. Yeah, rained out and just frigid cold last night but the sun is shining today the snow has melted so i think it looks pretty good you're gonna are you been able to sell any beer i know across a lot of our customer base uh throughout the northern part of the united states it's been very unseasonably cool and everybody's complaining about the fact that uh with it so cold we're just not selling as much beer as we would like to and uh and yet i you know i having lived in chicago for a year i know you guys can make up for that in about 24 hours if you need to <laughs> Yeah, I think that we're all just, uh, we, we, you know, spring could not come fast enough for everyone, just A, so we can get out of our homes, and, and B, yeah, so we can finally get out and start to drink some beer. We, uh, we released a, uh, a beer just a couple weeks ago that, you know, when we were planning this stuff out last year, we thought, oh, man, April, a nice, crisp, uh, hoppy Pilsner, that'll just go perfect with the, with the spring season coming in, and we literally released it on the day that we got like a couple inches of snow here and we're just like oh man what is going on <laughs> by the way matt thanks for sending out the daisy cutter pale ale mike and i are both enjoying a uh, a really can of that beer. as we do uh, as as we speak here uh oh that, great good to hear. very nice beer we, we're taking wild guesses on which hops might be in it 
And yeah. I'm thinking I maybe picked up a little bit of Simcoe and some Amarillo and Centennial. How far off am I? Oh, wow. Uh, no cheating? Did you really just guess those? Because that's pretty accurate. It's those three hops? Um, it is. It's those three. Uh, we also use uh, CTZ in that one. Okay. All right. Yeah, so predominantly Amarillo, Simcoe, uh, and then a little uh, little bit of Centennial and CTZ blended in. Okay. It's a terrific beer, uh, Matt. Uh, we're both enjoying it. We're already halfway uh, halfway consumed uh, while we're doing our sound check. So. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm glad it's going down good for you guys. And this is one of your flagship beers, right, uh, at, at uh, Half Acre? It is definitely our flagship beer. Yeah, it's the beer that we make the most of. Um, we've been making this beer for as long as I've worked at the brewery, so greater than eight years, maybe close to nine years. Um, and yeah, it's you know it's a it's a real crisp pale ale. We we tend to gravitate towards uh, some of our our pales and IPAs. We try to get them to dry out as much as as much as we can to you know increase the drinkability we um we have a pretty unique complex malt bill in there as well that kind of pushes it towards the biscuity uh malt flavor spectrum um so yeah i think it's held it's held up over the years and it's still one of the most refreshing um you know hoppy beers that you can that you can definitely get in the chicago area in my opinion what, what's going on in Chicago uh, in terms of craft beer, Matt? I know you've got uh, two breweries. Uh, you've got one in, in Lincoln Park. Is that right? Where's the other one? Um, we Our original location is near the Lincoln Square neighborhood. Or sorry, Lincoln is, Square. You know, just, yeah, it's about, uh, about two miles north of where Wrigley Field is. Um, and then a few years ago, we opened a larger production space just another mile north of the original spot. So, yeah, we have sort of two operating breweries two tap rooms and then the city in general um has really really definitely picked up and matured in terms of craft beer awareness uh number of breweries in general is just through the roof which is cool to see i, I love to see uh brewery names that i have not heard of that exist in the same city that i live in um it was definitely not the case uh you know eight years ago when i started working at at half acre uh, there were just a handful of breweries, and now there are definitely dozens in the city, even more in the suburbs uh, and surrounding areas. Matt, I've had the opportunity to visit Wrigley Field on a couple occasions, and I just I love going there just because of the you've got a ballpark right there in the neighborhood. You've got so many places where you can go get great beer. Um, you can almost go there and get the uh, feel the atmosphere of a game without even going into Wrigley. It's just a it's just a wonderful place to be for both uh, beer and baseball. Yeah, it is a super special place. Uh, just the history of of the stadium and how it is incorporated into the neighborhood. Uh, you know, it's a small stadium as well, um, so pretty much any seat's a good seat in the stadium. You can see everything. Um, and the other exciting news for Half Acre this year is that you can drink Daisy Cutter now at Wrigley Field as of this season. I remember well, I worked in Chicago when I first got out of school many years ago, and about the only beer you could get there was old style, I think. And so, uh, have, right. having Daisy Cutter and others is fantastic. And I, well, I, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember when there were no lights on the field at, at Wrigley, so it was all day games, and that was uh, 
a joy uh, because I came out of the commodity trading business. And so uh, Chicago futures markets would close at 115. Boom, get up to Wrigley, have a few beers, and then sit down in time to, to, to have a nice afternoon watching baseball, listen to Harry Carey. Just a great place to watch baseball, great neighborhood, as, as Steve mentioned. But uh, great to hear you guys are at, in, at uh, selling your beer at Wrigley Field. How, how much of your beer, uh, Matt, is sold on-premise and how much is, is sold off in terms of uh, rough, rough percentages? Oh, rough percentages, let's see. Um, I think it's maybe 5 to 10% of our total production is sold on-premise, uh, and the rest goes to distribution. And are you uh, beyond the state of Illinois, or is it? Uh, do you go into Wisconsin or Michigan or any other states, or what? What's your uh, what's your arc of uh, of distribution? Yeah, it's it's pretty compact. It's about eighty percent of what we sell stays in the Chicago land area, but we do distribute to Wisconsin, the rest of Illinois, and as well as a couple locations on the East Coast around Philly and New York City. And, and how long is uh, how long has Half Acre been in operation? You said about eight or nine years. Uh, total about 11 years 11 now. years, okay. How did, how did you get uh, started in brewing yourself, Matt? Well, I, uh, you know, I was bit by the homebrew bug when I was in undergrad. As a college student, I was, like, really getting into, bio, into biology, and that just, you know, led into the science of brewing beer. I, I was fortunate to get to take, a, like, an upper-level biology course through my uh, university that focused on the history and science of beer and brewing, and that really taught me a lot about how to homebrew different styles, and uh, it just went from there. Yeah, I went on to, to graduate school in biological research and uh, quickly found myself suddenly thinking and drinking uh, more craft beer than I was thinking about <laughs> research, and I was like, maybe I need a, a career change. So I was fortunate enough to get one of the few available positions in brewing in the city of Chicago at the time, uh, which was at Half Acre. I loved the brewery already. I was super excited about it, just cleaning kegs, scrubbing floors, whatever I could do. And over the last eight years, as we've grown as a brewery, um, I've been fortunate to be able to take on more responsibility uh, at the same time. Did you grow up in Chicago, Matt, or from, uh, from someplace else? I did not. I grew up in Kentucky and moved up to Chicago about 10 years ago. Uh, so, growing up in Kentucky, not, were you a Cub, maybe not a Cubs fan? but uh... <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, not a Cubs fan. Uh, <laughs> as much as I love the stadium, Wrigley Field, I am uh, more uh, partial to the Atlanta Braves myself. Um, you know, growing up in Kentucky, we didn't have a, a state team, so you sort of had to pick the... The Reds, the Cardinals, the Braves were the common choices, and I was raised a Braves fan. Um, I, it, it didn't hurt growing up in the glorious uh, years of the 90s there with, when the Braves made their, what was it, 14 the division titles in a row record, or, yeah. or whatever it was. Uh, yeah, really so it was a real joy, teams. real joy to get to, to grow up and, and watch that team play. Yep. They always had good pitching. That's one thing you always could count on with the Atlanta Braves, and those divisional titles just came. Yeah, Tom yep. Gavin, Greg Couldn't. Maddox, John Smoltz, yep. all those guys. Yeah, great guys. Good, yeah. good teams. Un unfortunately, we could not do much in the, when it really counted in the World Series, but at least we got one. <laughs> well, 
Uh, you know, it was back in the day, too, in, uh, in the early 90s when uh, cable was sort of starting to take off, and you really had two national teams. You had TBS and the Braves, and you had WGN and the Chicago Cubs. Mm-hmm. You know? and yeah, right. And uh, so that, that were, you know, a lot of people uh, your age came of age, and, and they, they were watching those teams because you could watch those games all the time, all year round. And exactly. nowadays, MLB.com, you know, is, that's yeah. where I get my twins fixes is being able to watch that, so. Yep. Yeah, totally. And and now, you know, the Braves aren't even on TBS anymore, I don't believe. But uh, Didn't Kentucky have a, a former pitcher, Jim Bunning? Wasn't he a senator from the state of Kentucky? Yeah, he was. He a pitcher. Yeah, the, I think that's right. Phil yep. Phillies, right? Wasn't he yep. from the Phillies? That's where he was primarily. Sounds right, right. yeah. I that's think he had right. a no-hitter there one year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was even mm-hmm. maybe a perfect game. It was something, he did I something. Think it, was. it might have oh, been really? a perfect yep. game. Yeah. Yep. But while those, I mean, uh, the Cubs today playing the Cards, those are those are pretty powerful. Uh, that's a very oh. powerful rivalry. Uh, yeah, major rivalry. I mean, the, we were talking about this before. The Central Division in the National League, I think, is probably the toughest division this year when you've yep. got the Cards, the Cubs, uh, the remarkable Pirates off to a great start, and the Brewers yep. off to a good start. But yep. what, a, what a tough division this year. It's a tough one for Cincinnati to be part of. I think they're like 3-13. and 13, Yeah. Pirates are uh-huh. off to a great start. That's that's a surprising part there. I got a feeling at the end of the season it's going to be the Cubs and the Cardinals. So, well, the Cubs, yeah, I and mean, they're powerful teams. I mean, you've got uh, Chris Bryant is off to a really good start. Uh, you know, you've got Ben Zobrist is off to his usual good start with with the Cubs. Rizzo's back. Rizzo's now. back now after a sore back from yep. lifting kegs without uh, bending <laughs> properly. So, and, you, you know, and then you've got the Cards. Are actually, I mean, my my two favorite catchers are Yadier Molina and, and Salvador Perez from the Royals, but Molina's been a great catcher for the Cards for many years. I mean, mm-hmm. we talked last week, I grew up a catcher, so I, I tend to watch those guys. And So yeah, he's great and uh, yeah, they've got uh, Tommy Pham off to a good start and uh, and then of course Jose Martinez is a heck of a pitcher along with Adam Wright, uh, Wainwright, so yep. a couple of very good teams. St. Louis does baseball right. They've always got a good, strong team and yep. uh, all those championships, those National League pennants, sort of proves that. You know, the only yeah, there, the o- there are a couple guys at our brewery that'll be happy to hear you say that. <laughs> the only two teams my Twins beat in the World Series ever were the Cardinals in '87 and the and the Braves in '91. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't remind me of the '91, please. Oh yeah, that was that was a great World Series, though. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you guys have been. Um, really a big part of the craft scene like you said for 11 years now in chicago uh would you would you say the impact of people like uh goose island you know a great brewery that has has obviously been acquired by abi and is now um is now being the official sponsor for the white Sox uh field uh in, in on the south side you know, but they were they were there early on, and so you've had for a long time a good tradition of of, of good beer and good craft beer in Chicago. Uh, do you continue to see good growth for for yourselves and and your your fellow community of craft brewers in the Chicago area? Uh, definitely, yeah. Goose Island, you know, they they date date back quite a ways, and they um, they sort of set the the stage for everyone that came after them. And we've definitely seen uh, a lot of breweries opening since Half Acre started 11 years ago. Um, I think that, you know, it's the types of breweries that have been opening largely in Chicago have been 
um, smaller, sort of neighborhood-focused, taproom-focused operations specializing in certain types of beers that maybe other people aren't doing or aren't, aren't trying to pull off. Um, and they've been super successful. We have a lot of cool, unique breweries that uh, that you can go to and really find any type of beer that you might might want to check out. Uh, Dovetail, Off Color, Spiteful, these these other you know neighborhood breweries that are, are doing some really cool stuff. Um, and yeah, for us, I mean, we're very fortunate that we can make the amount of beer that we do, which is sizable, and still be able to sell it in such a tight footprint, mostly in Chicago and Chicago land. Um, yeah, it's really, I think we're, we're very fortunate to be in that position, um, especially with, you know, the total number of breweries that exist today and, and just be able to continue to, to get beer out and grow steadily year over year and um, continue to focus on quality of our beer. And we enjoy coming out to Yakima and uh, learning about uh, how to grow hops and, what, and what's going on out there in the fields and Great. trying to you know, understand that process as, as good as we can, especially since most of the beers we make are definitely very hop focused. We, we love that, Matt. That's one thing we love about the uh, craft segment. And another thing I've appreciated about the craft segment is the uh, ability and the desire to have a very high degree of collaboration and camaraderie. Uh, you guys are very good about, uh, tasting each other's beers and talking about how you can make them better and uh, I think that's uh, been part of what's driven the success of craft over the past uh, decade or two in, in uh, North America and, and now even globally. Yeah, yeah, I mean it definitely makes it very pleasant, a pleasant industry to work in and be a part of. I mean we literally share an alley with another brewery, a fellow brewery of ours, Spiteful Brewing, who uh, just opened a tap room this year, literally right across the alley from our, our large production space. So, you know, next door neighbors with tap rooms, we pop into their space, they pop into ours, we drink beers together, share beers, uh, help each other out with issues that we might be having. It's really, yeah, it's a really unique, special relationship that a lot of brewers have struck with each other. And as you said, you started off like uh, a lot of brewers' uh, first jobs as home brewer, but then you're washing kegs, and then you're you're working your way up. And uh, I don't have the experience you or Steve has in, in the industry, but I've been very impressed at how open and sharing brewers have been with the younger uh, brewers coming up and parts of their team, and and, and sharing their uh, experiences and their their techniques with people and. Yeah, it just it's really is as Steve said, part of that collaboration. What makes it a very special industry? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody. I think I think everyone wants everyone else to succeed and to make good beer, and uh, that will reflect upon the greater you know group of, of breweries. You have a you as you mentioned, you have a pretty strong technical background, at least in the in, in the sense of biology. Um, uh, how have you? How is your awareness of that, and how has your experience as a brewer evolved? How you think about making brews uh, beers over the years? What what have you? What are you doing now? Is there new techniques? Is there new uh, equipment? Is there a new way for you to think about the the science part of your of your beer making? Well, we um, yeah, we try to stick to our roots as much as possible. So. 
Um, even though we've grown as a brewery and the size of our equipment has also grown, we try to keep our techniques as uh, basic and rustic as possible for, you know, just to try to preserve the, the soul of the beer that we're making. That said, it has been a really uh, good, fun experience to grow our quality department and grow the tools that we have in our lab so that we can um, measure certain components in our beer, whether it be quantitatively or with, uh, you know, developing sort of complex sensory programs so that when we do make changes, we do try things in a different way with new equipment that might make things more efficient. The number one question is, well, does it harm the beer or the soul of the beer that we have going for us? And we've worked really hard over the years to ensure that we have techniques in place to assess whatever uh, the impact may be on our beer when we do implicate new processes. Hey, Matt, do you plan on coming out for selection this year? Uh, we will be out there, yeah, we, we sure will. Great. Yeah, we, uh, we try to get out a couple times. Do you target uh, uh, when you come out for specific uh, varieties of hops, or do you? Is it just a function of when you can get away from uh, Chicago? How do you how do you approach uh, the two times you come out, Matt? Yeah, so for until like let's see, until a couple of years ago, we were just making the one trip, and we just tried to cover as many bases as we could with that one week that we chose. Um, with the two trips. We've been sort of keeping that, like, on the earlier side, the first visit during harvest. Uh, and then we found that it's pretty important for us because um, we use actually a lot of uh, Columbus for dry hopping in a lot of our beers. And we were finding that we would come out for the typical one week that that hop was not harvested really yet. There wasn't really much to choose from. Uh, and... Um, a lot of people, I think, traditionally would view that hop as more of an alpha-based uh, hop variety and not really thinking of it as a, a, an aroma-driven variety like we use it. So we felt like it was important to get out, try to get out later in the harvest and get a little more control over uh, the CTZ that we were selecting. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, place you like to hang out at night when you're done out in the fields in Yakima? Um, well, we, yeah, it, it, I don't know, we try to explore a little bit each time we're out, uh, try to get away from the typical uh, Yakima nightlife uh, as much as we can, meet new farmers and uh, see new farms. I really just enjoy talking to people that work on the farms, um, getting their experiences, trying to understand the nuances of uh, the current year's harvest and, you know, staying up to speed on new types of processing uh, equipment or developments in the technology, um, you know, like developments in kilning technology or uh, picking technology. We always like to come out and see what's new and who's doing what. So, yeah, it's always an adventure. We never really know where we're going to end up. We just bounce around and run into people, and the next thing you know, you're you know, walking walk the fields at night or, or who knows what, and... Uh, it's always a good time, though. You have, uh, from Kentucky, one of, uh, I would say, the most famous American naturalist or farmers, Wendell Berry, who wrote a lot about uh, agricultural life and the community and, and 
talked about sustainability before it became a buzzword, if you will, but uh, it's it's a pretty special out here too. We, uh, you know, our growers, as we've said before, are fourth, fifth, sixth generation farmers, and uh, you know, there's sometimes this perception that farmers are just trying to exploit their fields, but uh, the reality is farmers who are trying to be multi-generational care more about their land than anybody else because they're they're trying to pass a legacy on to their children. Uh, they oftentimes will have a well on the farm. You know, they're drinking the water from that land and they take good care of it. And Wendell Berry, way back when uh, in Kentucky in the 40s and 50s, I think it was, uh, wrote a lot about it. So it's uh, something I know our growers uh, really take to heart too is um, maintaining that sustainability and uh, in a, in, a, in, a har- in a harmony with the farms and nature. That, that's a good point, Mike. In fact, uh, we just kicked off actually a life cycle assessment project here at YCH, and our goal is to really uh, do that assessment all the way back from the field to the point that it gets to your brew kettle, Matt. And our theory is if we can, uh, if we can measure it, we can improve it and reduce our uh, carbon footprint, reduce our water footprint, and... Uh, get you a nice sustainable project uh, uh, product to make great beer with yeah and we'll have uh, at uh, in Nashville at the CBC coming up in a couple of weeks we'll have a bit of a recap of what we do as a company towards sustainability and and sharing some information with uh, with people that stop by our booth sounds like some cool stuff well Matt we we really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day to spend with us uh, we know we've got the game coming up shortly there in in, uh, in Chicago. I don't know if you realize this, Steve, but we're three and zero so far in our podcast for supporting the home team. So the Astros won the day we did the podcast. The Twins won and the Mets won. So here's cheering for the Cubs tonight. There we go. <laughs> yeah, nice. Good good luck to the Cubs and and good luck to you, Matt. We uh, we knew, wish you nothing but good hops. Well, I really appreciate you guys uh, having me onto the show, and I. Uh, I look forward to my visit to Yakima, and hopefully we'll get to uh, meet up with you guys. That'd be great. Thanks, Matt, and thanks again for uh, for this great beer. Well, Steve, you've right. got, Steve, you've got a you've got a Steve Bartman story for us, right? I I do actually. You know, I think it was 2003 when the infamous incident happened at the the ballpark where where uh, Mr. Bartman reached out and. Uh, uh, theoretically messed up the ability to catch catch a ball and and uh, get the Cubs in the World Series and uh, so I was in spring training and I think it was 2007 I was there with my wife and we were sitting there watching the Seattle Texas game and I looked across and I saw a young couple with Cubs hats on and I thought you know that young man looks familiar and I couldn't quite figure out who it was and uh, so uh, they left about the seventh inning, and Carl Van Evenhoven, our uh, chief operations officer uh, now, he uh, hooked me up with one of his Purdue buddies down there, Jason, and so I showed him the picture of this young guy, and I says, is this who I think it is? And Jason, who's a huge Cubs fan, said, yes, that's that blankety-blank Steve Bartman. (laughs) And... uh, (laughs) I said, so why was he at the Seattle-Texas game and not the Cubs game? He's, and Jason said if he'd come to the Cubs game, they probably would have crucified him. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, I got to actually sit next to uh, Steve Bartman at a Seattle-Texas game at spring training. 
Well, speaking of your wife, you've got uh, you've got dinner plans tonight, we, right? We do have dinner plans. Thanks for mentioning that, Mike. Um, my lovely wife Diana will be uh, celebrating the anniversary of her 29th birthday, and I won't tell you which anniversary it is <laughs> because I know some of our listeners can probably do math and figure out that she's 61 years old today. So I don't want anybody knowing that. <laughs> I want to stay out of trouble. But uh, hap- gonna, happy birthday, Diana. Happy uh, birthday, Diana. And uh, make sure Steve doesn't take you to Miners or McDonald's tonight. <laughs> you know, I, I, we both know Steve very well in his budget. So, <laughs> so how, are, how are the Mariners doing? Good good week for them? and. Uh, you know we're off. We're off to a good start. Uh, nine and five. Yep. Uh, beat the defending uh, World Series champs last night, two to one. And Keiko, uh, yeah, that was good. At Keiko, our uh, uh, our, yeah. our our local craft uh, uh, brewer pitcher yep. uh, w- with the, with the beard. Paxton had a good night. Uh, Edwin Diaz came in, and it was a little bit of a roller coaster ride in the uh, ninth inning but uh, had just enough offense to win so they're kind of fun to watch when they're winning and that's true of any major league team so and my twins like i said they got snowed out three day three games in a row so they had to go all the way to puerto rico to play two games to get some sunshine they play tonight uh, against the cleveland indians and the twins have two uh, two guys from Puerto Rico, Jose Barrios and Eddie Rosario, and I'm sure they're thrilled to be there. Just a lot of fun to to get to Puerto Rico and have a couple of games as well. They'll they'll have a challenge tonight going up against uh, Corey Kluber. Kluber. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, well, uh, thanks very much, everybody. Again, as always, if you've got uh, questions or comments, we love to hear from you. And uh, next week we will be. Uh, talking with um, somebody from San Francisco. I can't remember who it is, but we've got the San Francisco Giants uh, on, on board. Oh, Anchor Steam. Anchor Steam will That's be right. on Anchor Steam, yep. one of the great uh, classics. So. Uh, one of the brewers there, Kevin, will be joining Kevin, us. Uh, perfect. And so we'll have some Anchor Steam beer to enjoy during the podcast. Terrific. Thanks, everybody.